Amen. You may be seated. And we're continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount today. We're on, um, well, the, the series is called Practice Makes Perfect. And the idea is that um, as disciples of Jesus, um, we're on a journey, and that's a continual journey. We need to continue moving on that journey. Uh, the word perfect is not really a reference to being without any flaw. It's really a reference to completeness. And there's just this idea, especially as Wesleyan Christians, that we believe that we're on a journey of God making us complete in his love. And the Sermon on the Mount is really kind of the ultimate text for a long journey of being made complete by God's love. The Sermon on the Mount always challenges me personally. It's a very, um, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to try to practice what's in it. And today is, is not going to be any different. Actually, I think today we might get challenged more than, than anything else. For our society today, the topic that Jesus brings up in the sermon, um, might, it might be the most relevant and maybe the most needed thing. Today, Jesus talks to us about worry and anxiety. Right? None of us are strangers to worry and anxiety um, and, and while that was my hunch, I also I wanted to have a little bit more to go from. So I, I looked up some numbers. I did a quick Google search. I found that 40 million out of about 245 million adults struggle with an anxiety disorder. That's one in six. I, I read another article that said 39% of adults reported an increase in anxiety over the same time last year. That was a study done this year. And almost 40% of adults are saying their lives are getting more anxious, not less. I pulled the, uh, the Bethany office. Let me set this down so I can read my notes. So I, I asked, I asked uh, our, our great staff at Bethany, what are things that you think people worry about in the world? And I got a list. Number one was, by consensus, wealth, retirement, day-to-day needs, having and making enough money. Um, and from there, there, there's not really an order after that, but I heard things about career plans and life plans, people worrying about uh, the things that they want to have, but they're not sure if they can afford, or uh, keeping up with other people around them as far as being able to purchase items that other people also have. I heard people say they worried about their children. I heard someone uh, mention that they think a lot of people worry about everyone else. We'll do anything to not focus on ourselves um, worried about fitting in, worried about relationships, worried about what people think about me, worried about the state of our country and the political discord, worried about future generations and what will happen to our country. People are worried about their health, they're worried about the environment and climate change and the society around them. You know, the world is not um, oblivious to this fact either. I think if you go in any bookstore, there's a self-help section that's probably the biggest section. I think we've developed so many techniques as a society around how do you deal with your anxiety. You do, there's breathing methods, there's meditation techniques, there is a healthy, balanced diet. Um, sometimes you need to go to a counselor, sometimes you need to go to a psychiatrist, sometimes you need all those things. At least I feel like I do sometimes. And I don't want to put those things down. I think, um, I think it is smart to go to a counselor. I think it's smart to eat healthy. To, uh, it's smart to take pauses through your day and, and take a breath and just say, all right, let me center myself again. Um, I'm still alive. That's good. 
Um, and um, there are times when the cause of the anxiety might be chemical also. It's smart to take medicine for that. So we're not against any of that stuff. But I wonder if Jesus tells us anything about how to avoid worry and anxiety. I wonder if Jesus has anything unique for us today about how do we be people that don't get taken over by our worries and our anxieties. How do we do that? I mean, I think, uh, I think that he does say something unique. I mean, we're going to read about that. But I think he also says something unique in hopes that we could be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, so we could be a people that go out into the world and demonstrate a different way of living so that the world can see the hope of Christ. Um, as we begin, will you pray with me? Lord, we know that there is a lot of worry and anxiety. God, we know that this is true for our own lives. That, that there are things even probably on our minds right now that we might be worried about or anxious about or we're not sure how it's going to work out. Um, but God, we know that the world around us is drowning in worry and anxiety and needs a way out. Jesus, we pray that you would come and teach us right now, that you would come and show us how we can uh, not succumb to worry and anxiety. And we pray that you would do this work in us to free us from that so that we can go and live as people who are light in the world. Come and do this. Amen. And so we're going to read Jesus. We're going to read what Jesus says. Starting in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, al which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Jesus tells us a lot in there. Um, there's a lot of key things in there. He gives us a lot of reasons to not worry. And as I was studying this and just sitting with this scripture a lot this week, there were a number of things that just stood out to me as things I probably need to hear over and over and over again. There's a theme that, that God will provide for us. That if God will feed the birds and clothe the flowers and make them even more beautiful than the richest people in the world, will he not much more give us what we need? We can trust God as our provider. That's, that's a big part of what Jesus is teaching there, just to trust God instead of to worry about having to take care of ourselves. 
He talks about how life is, is more than just what we eat and what we drink and what we wear. He kind of asks us in the midst of worry to go back to ask the question, what's the purpose of my life? Is it about having these things that I feel like I need tomorrow? Or is there maybe something more there, the reason that I'm here? Um, he talks about how worry does not really help us. Uh, and so, um, you know, you can't worry and make your life get longer. Actually, worry makes your life get shorter, right? It affects life expectancy and in quality of life and enjoyment of life. And Jesus is just reminding us that we are not the ones in control. We are not the ones that are the masters of our own lives. Uh, we're really, we're dependent on someone else or something else. Um, he, he says that there's one part where it says, that we're called to live different than the Gentiles. And I think the reminder there is that, you know, the people of the world, if you have a secular mindset, you don't believe that there's an all-loving, all-powerful God of the universe who created you, who saved you, who has promised to give you what you need. And man, if you don't believe that God is there like that, then, man, maybe that would make me worry. It is on me. I do have to fight for survival. I do have to accumulate as much as I can so that if anything happens, I will have what I need. But isn't it beautiful? As Christians, we believe there's an all-loving, all-powerful God of the universe who created us, who has saved us with his own son, who provides for us our needs day to day. He promises to keep doing that. So we don't have to, we don't have to act like the people of the world. We don't have to accumulate so much that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. We don't have to um, sit and think about, oh my gosh, if this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen, what will become of my life? Because that's the way the world thinks. Jesus gives us a different way to think. Now, this is what it looks like to be the salt and the light, by the way. You know, and then there's that last part at the very end. Um, this is This is... This verse has always kind of stumped me a little bit. Um, it, it reads to me more like what comes out of a fortune cookie, right? So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. I'm like, well, thanks. Um, okay, that just seems like overly logical. I think as I, as I sat with this verse a little more this week, God kind of called me out. He told me, this, Thomas, this one's about being present. If we're worrying about tomorrow, we're not present today. We're just, we're, we're living in the future. Uh, and that, that's just, that's a place apparently, God told me, I can grow. So we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow because God wants us to be present today. And you know, God doesn't just give us the call to not worry. He actually um, gives us something to do instead, right? So he doesn't just call us to let go of worries. He doesn't call us to blind trust. He calls us to do something else instead. That's not, that's not the thing. Sorry, I, I clicked the wrong one. So he, this is what he calls us to do instead. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He said, instead of worrying, we need to strive for God with everything we have. When I think of uh, striving first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, the way that, uh, that we can break that down is the kingdom of God involves God being the king and living out the way of the kingdom. So striving first for the kingdom of God means um, striving for God to be the king of your life and aligning your life to the way of the kingdom, 
which really the Sermon on the Mount is a great picture of what that would look like if we were to read that and live it out each day. And so he says, instead of worrying, we're actually supposed to, to strive for God in our lives. And I think we've tried this. I think a lot of us have tried this. You know, it, this makes me wonder, you know, why, why is it so hard to not worry still? I don't, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, maybe you've heard this passage before. And you read it again and you thought, ooh, yeah, I need to hear that. That's good for my soul. If only I could get there. Uh, right? We know we're not supposed to worry. We know what we're supposed to do instead. But for some reason, at least for myself, for people I know, worry continues to be there. So why is that? that that's really the question that um, I want to answer today. Um, I want to try to answer that question today. Um, and I think actually Jesus gives us an answer, thankfully. You know, I was reading John Wesley's sermon on this text. And John Wesley doesn't start at verse 25 where Jesus says, do not worry. He actually starts in verse 24. Um, and this is what, you guys probably read it already. I spoiled it. This is what verse 24 says. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And it's right after that that Jesus goes into our main text for today. Therefore, do not worry about your life. So I think there's a connection between having two masters and not needing to worry. I think what Jesus is saying is that if we don't have two masters in our life, we won't need to worry because we'll trust God. The, the problem is that the root of our worry is not that we haven't developed the technique in our minds. The root of our worry is that really it's a heart thing, right? I think a lot of times we might read the seek God first passage and think, well, I just need to move God up to the top of my priority list. And so we do that, but we wonder why is there still worry? And I, think, I think this scripture tells us, I think it's not that God needs to be at the top of our priority list. It's that God needs to be the only thing on it. He needs to be our singular priority. And whenever we have other things that are competing for priority with God, that's when we have two masters. That's when I think that leads us to worry. There's an author named James Smith. Um, he talks about the way humans work, um, and especially the way Christians, as Christians, we should understand the way we work. And he writes this, and it just, for me, it makes some things come clear. At the heart of our being is a kind of love pump that can never be turned off, not even by sin or the fall. Rather, the effect of sin on our love pump is, it, is to knock it off kilter, misdirecting it and getting it aimed at the wrong things. So, you know, the results of the fall wasn't that we just became unloving people. It's that we started directing that love that was meant for God towards other things. So the example that Jesus uses, uh, the one that's probably most uncomfortable for all of us in one of the wealthiest nations of the world, is wealth. Right? He says that, um, that wealth can become a competing master with God. And, you know, there's a way where we can love something and want it so much that it actually gets in the way of us loving and being devoted to God. Um, and that's what James Smith is saying, is that uh, we will continue to love things, 
Um, it's, it's really not a matter of if we love, it's, it's a matter of what we are loving. And so I think, you know, we think about the, uh, we think about the Ten Commandments, and the second commandment is to not make any idols. I think a lot of times in our society, we read that as don't make any idols, like, like something that's a physical object that I would put in my closet, that I would bend down and worship. But I think the ten com- that, that second commandment for us, I think it's a command to not make any idols in our hearts, to not have anything that competes for God being the singular priority. You know, when I think about this in my own life, um, I ask myself, what do I worry about the most? Um, and, and just going off this last week, my, my to-do list was overflowing. I had too many things to do. And so my worries, any worries that happened this week, almost all of them were about, what if I don't get this thing done that I think I need to get done? And so if, if I'm going to just use myself as the example for what I'm preaching here, because I think that's probably the only appropriate way to do it, what is the root of that worry? What's the desire that's deep down that competes with God? It's probably a desire to appear successful. A desire to feel like I can be in control of my life. I can do everything on my, on my task list. Or maybe, you know, sometimes I sense that maybe it's a desire to earn my value by what I produce. To achieve and succeed and win so that I can be considered a valuable, contributing member of society. That's, that one's pretty deeply ingrained in all of us in some way, isn't it? And there's ways that that can be more than just a mindset, but it can be something that gets in our heart and it competes with God. Um, and, and so what Jesus is calling us to do is, is not just to not worry, not just to seek him first, but to identify what are those things that get in the way, in the way of us seeking God first. What gets in the way of God being the one object of worship in our hearts. I think if we looked at our worries, we would find what that is. For some of us, maybe um, our worry is about money. And just because that's the one I heard most from people, I'll go with that one for a second. If our worry is about money, the competing desire might be to be in control of my own life. And if I have enough and make enough and save enough, maybe I will be in control and I won't have to trust anyone else. But the problem is that competes with needing to trust God for our provision. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's wanting our kids to succeed. I mean, I think kids can easily become idols, right? You know, when we... Add, so, so I think there's a hard work that we need to do. I think part of practicing makes perfect for us today is what, what is it that makes you worry? What's the undergirding desire? Um, there's, there's really a couple reasons I think we do this. I think, I think there are actually reasons why we have these other competing masters, these other competing desires. Uh, one of them is that I think that balance is something we, we strive for so much. And I think sometimes we're afraid if we're not balanced, we'll be an extremist. And so when it comes to Jesus, the problem with balance is that Jesus doesn't call us to balance him with everything else in our life. He calls us to let go of everything else and only look at Jesus. And so I think balance is one of the things that makes us worry. That's something that we pick up from the world around us. But the other thing that that I think makes us worry, that, that, that leads to there being these other masters in our heart, is FOMO. FOMO. It's 
F-O-M-O. Some of you know it because you're nodding your heads. It stands for fear of missing out. I think sometimes we have a fear that we'll get to the end of our life or we'll get to a further point in our life and we'll wish that we had done something differently or we'll have a regret and wish that we could still have an opportunity. And I think sometimes this might get in the way when we're, when we're trying to follow Jesus and we want to follow him and love him and worship him just enough so that we don't have to sacrifice the really hard things because it would be really hard to let go of other opportunities. Um, I see my daughter do this all the time. She's four years old. Um, We give her options sometimes of what do you want to do, this or that. And making a decision on that option is like pulling teeth for her. She wants to do both and everything. And she definitely does not want to miss out. But in the midst of trying to figure out how she can do everything, she really just becomes miserable because she didn't really enjoy anything. I wonder if that's not kind of what happens to us. You know, John Wesley uh, actually talks about that. He talks about what it's like to try to seek out both God and something in the world. He, he, says, he says it this way, that to trim between God and the world is the sure way to be disappointed in both, to have no rest either in one or the other. How uncomfortable a condition must he be in, who having the fear of, but not the love of God, who serving him but not with all his heart, has only the toils and not the joys of religion. He has religion enough to make him miserable, but not enough to make him happy. His religion will not let him enjoy the world, and the world will not let him enjoy God, so that by halting between both, he loses both and has no peace, either in God or the world. And So John Wesley doesn't mince words. He, he really thinks that if we try to seek God and keep these other things in our hearts that we're also seeking that compete with God, we're we're really not going to have peace. We're going to be miserable. We're going to have worry. That'll be a result of that. And so then what do we do about this? It's kind of the question that we need to ask, right? We are practicing to be complete in Christ, where this is something we don't just want to hear or read about. It's something we want to live out. And so I think, I think the first step is to identify the competing desires. And so just like I did with my week, maybe there's a worry that you have your week. Maybe there was something this week that just got you riled up and you were worried about it. Maybe you were, needed some time to vent to someone. Sometimes that's good. It's therapeutic. But the worry is still there. What is it that got you worried this week? What is it that's that, that worry in your life? And what is the underlying desire that competes with God? It is, a, is it is a desire to be in control? Maybe it's a desire for comfort that is just too hard to let go. Maybe it's a desire for, uh, for power. Maybe it's a desire to uh, feel needed. I think we, we, have, we all have that a little bit, right? But th- this is something you're going to have to answer for your, yourself. As you look at the worries in your life, what's the underlying desire that you can't let go of, that's so hard to let go of. So that's the first step, is to identify what that is. What is the idol of our heart? What is the competing master? Are you ready for this? The second step is to let go of it. I was at a leadership conference earlier this week, and and one of the speakers said something profound. He said, you know, the only way to know if you trust someone is to trust them. 
I was hoping for something a lot easier. The only way to know if God's our only priority is to let him be our only priority, to let go of everything else. Now, this is something that we can't quite do on our own. There's, there's, you know, we are not the ones that change our hearts. God is actually the one that changes our hearts. Uh, this is why, you know, I love being Methodist because John Wesley was really big about these things called the means of grace. The means of grace are practices that we can do that they don't change us, but they put us in the way of God so that when we encounter God's grace, he comes in and changes our hearts. And so in order to let go of whatever that competing idol is and to grab on more clearly to God, you know, I think there's, there's three, at least three means of grace that came to my mind as I was looking through this this week. Uh, the first is confession. That's, that's not a very popular one. It's, uh, it's a hard one, right? But I think if we all had one or two people in our life that when we realized, man, there's something in my heart that is competing with God's spot, that we could go to them and say, Barry, I just need to confess this to you. you know, I've been wanting to be successful, and uh, that, that's been getting in the way of me keeping God first. And then that person could speak words of forgiveness and assurance to you, and that the assurance that God still loves you, and that he alone can transform that in you. And there's something that happens when you do that. It's not just therapeutic for the head. There's something spiritual that happens in the practice of confession, where God allows our hearts to encounter him in a way and start to be changed. Right? There's another means of grace. It's, it might even be less popular, actually, than confession. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, what is, what is he going to say? Fasting. Right? Fasting is something. Fasting is when you give up something that you depend on every day so that you can trust God even more. You're basically practicing letting go of something that you usually rely on so that you can rely on God instead. I mean, I think uh, we're so consumer-minded in our culture. If think if we fasted, we would develop um, the practice of letting go of things of the world and holding on more tightly to God. And I think God in that does a work on our heart. The, the third means of grace um, is actually what we're doing right now. It's worship. When we come together to worship, we're reminding ourselves and we're reminding our ch- each other that God is the only one who deserves our love and affections and our deepest worship. That he is really the only one that's worthy of that. No one else and nothing else can have that. So when we get together and we, and we worship, when we sing songs like Be Thou My Vision, we're reminded that Man, God really is worth it. He really is the one we're, we're striving for. And we're not just reminding ourselves in our heads, but I think as we gather, there's something that when we encounter God's Spirit, He does stuff in us and He realigns our lives with Him. So I think we can do some things to encounter God and let Him change us, but I don't think we can change ourselves. You know, letting go is one of those things that's so hard and Really, the picture that God's put in my head for this, my daughter has swim lessons, right? So she's four years old. She's taking swim lessons. Um, we've actually stopped paying for swim lessons, and now I give her swim lessons, so that's always fun. And at the end of swim lessons, we have her try to float on her back. And so as she, you know, looks like a starfish in the water and leans back, and I have my hand on the small of her back, and the goal is that I could lower my hand and we'd count to ten, and she would still be floating And what happens is I start to count as I lower my hand, and we get to one, 
two, three, four. And then she reacts. The fear kicks in. The worry kicks in. Trusting the water to hold her up does not seem like a good, good option anymore. So she tries to save herself. And she sits up, tries to sit up in the water. And once your head gets out of the water, it's too heavy out of the water. And then you go down under the water. And the very thing she's trying to do, she's trying to save herself. And the very act of trying to save herself, she actually loses what she's trying to do. I wonder if that's not like us. I wonder if we're not like a little kid trying to learn how to float in our back. And all we have to do is trust that God will catch us. Yes, we're going to sink down. Yes, it's going to sometimes be in a position where we're less comfortable than we'd like to be. Yes, it's going to be scary sometimes. But we know that if we lay there still, God will keep us up. He will provide for us. And if we can't let go of the need to save ourselves, provide for ourselves, be in control ourselves. We're going to be like my daughter who at some point decides she's going to save herself and the very act of doing that pushes her under the water. I wonder what it would look like for us to take Jesus' words and, and, and work them into our life, to practice them. What would it look like to not worry, but to let go of competing idols in our heart and to hold on more tightly to God? Will you pray with me? God, we confess that we need you. That even though we want so badly to make you first, it's hard. So God, I pray that you would come with your Holy Spirit right now, that you would... Come and show us the places in our hearts that we need to turn back over and give to you. Show us what those competing desires might be for us. God, I pray that you would come and make us a people who strive first for you, for your kingdom and your righteousness in our life. God, I pray that you would allow us to be free of our worries by having you be first, by trusting you instead of the things of the world. And that you would come and make us the salt and light that as we go into the world, people could see the hope of, of making you first. Come and do this powerful work in us. Amen.